0: kramer welcome to mad money welcome to America. other people want to make friends i'm just trying to make you some money my job is not just to entertain but to educate and teach you so call me at 1-800-743-cbc or tweet me at jim kramer today well today's market was very simple everything entertainment related caught fire anything else got left in the dust Perhaps because of a high-stakes bidding war between Comcast and Disney for some key Fox assets. Perhaps because a federal judge just blessed the AT&T-Time Warner deal the other day with no strings attached. We're seeing a wholesale revaluation upward for this key group and all the companies that support it. But as for everything else, well, it's not so hot which is why the Dow dipped 26 points today, while the S&P inched up 0.25%, and the NASDAQ, where so much telecom media and tech is located, crushed it, gaining 0.86%. Now, before I get into the nitty-gritty of this stunning bull market in entertainment, entertainment entertainment-related stocks, let's talk about what didn't work today, because it's pretty important. The banks, a key group for the overall health of the market, they were hammered. Because they can't make as much money as we thought, thanks to the flat yield curve. Meaning they're lending at just slightly higher rates than what they're paying you for the deposits. Healthcare got left behind because the economy's too strong to own these defensive stocks. Retail took a real breather. Because it's run up so dramatically. The industrials couldn't get any traction at all because the trade war with the Chinese is still on and tariffs are coming. Yep, that's a lot of stuff that's not working, isn't it? We sure don't want a situation like 1999 to develop here where the only thing that was working in the S&P 500 was tech, everything else. Wow. And then tech rolled over big in 2000. And you can bet that that's what the bears will be saying next time we have the S&P taking a hit by tech going higher. But then there's something else afoot here. Those other groups... All the ones I mentioned, well, they've had their shot at the brass ring, even as one particular sector has been held back, and that's the media entertainment stock sector, especially two of the biggest, Disney and Comcast. This week, though, the industry finally got a two-part catalyst. A federal judge who wants old media to have the firepower to compete with new media gushed over a huge merger, at Time Warner, and Comcast, parent company of this network, has come up with a high bid for Fox that says everything else in the group, literally everything, may just be too cheap for buyers to ignore. Buy, 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 Let me walk you through both of these positives. Earlier this week, Federal Judge Richard Leon unequivocally ruled that ATT can and must be allowed to buy Time Warner, despite the previous objections of the uh, Justice Department, because if it can't, then Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet will be triumphant and perhaps even wipe out the old line competition. It was a stunning 172-page ruling slash rebuke of the Justice Department, and it said that, that basically antitrust was hopelessly out of step with the times and that fang won't hurt the earth unless the older media companies can merge to save themselves. Look, I don't believe things are that dire, but I get it. So did Comcast. With the ink barely dry on this verdict, it comes up with an all-cash bid for the Fox assets that Disney had already bid stock for. Now, until the antitrust ruling, everything seemed kind of murky in this whole situation. I mean, you couldn't tell if a bid like this would need to actually go through. The Justice Department might have just shut everything down on the basis of too much concentration. But with such a clear ruling, one that could make the Justice Department look. Foolish if it tries to stop anyone from buying these Fox assets, a Comcast bid, well, it's the same as a Disney bid. They're equivalent. So all that matters is price. And Comcast price seemed to be just high enough to make it hard for Disney to compete, but not so high that it crushed Comcast stock. <coughs> how do I know this? OK, well, <laughs> how do I know it? Because I don't listen to the pundits. I listen to the stocks. And with the stocks of both Comcast and Disney up dramatically on the heels of the Comcast bit, yesterday and today, you've got to believe that the big money is now betting that while Disney may try to come back with something more enticing, it can't beat Comcast on the merits, the merits strictly being how much money they're going to pay for the Fox assets. What has to be heartening to to Disney, though, and this is really important, is that in the theoretical absence of the Fox deal, its stock is worth more than even Disney's management might believe. Why not? Ever since the Fox bid started, Disney's entertainment reach has gotten better and better. Its movie, Save Solo, more lucrative. Avengers Infinity War just became only the fourth movie ever to make the $2 billion mark. And its ESPN online subscription offerings, I'm telling you, it's looking like a potential hit. Perhaps what we're seeing today with the stock up more than 2% and up yesterday really large is Disney's true, much more uh, potent colors. Meanwhile, Comcast stock has been punished and punished and punished, so when we listened to the conference call last night about how great these fast-growing Fox International businesses would dovetail with the steady cash flow of the largely domestic cable and programming enterprises, investors started buying the stock hand over fist, setting it up nearly 5%, despite all the debt that needs to be taken down to make it all-cash purchase that can top Disney's stock bid. In short, no matter who wins this bidding war, the market is saying no. And it's screaming that the stocks of both Disney and Comcast are substantially undervalued and they both deserve to go higher. Not not one, but both. Hey, who knows? Maybe there's an insurgent buying up Disney stock at the same time as part of the equation. Maybe Disney doesn't have the votes to win. Uh, given how much of Fox's share count is actually owned by index funds, who'll just sell to the highest bidder, which for now is Comcast. So it will just go buy billions of dollars of its own stock if Fox falls through for them. Which brings me back to the rest of the entertainment sector. I know that we never want to be caught thinking for a minute that Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet, are cheap. But remember what I said yesterday? If the economy's going to slow down from from the Fed or a trade war, you want to own Fang. And it's accoutrements because these companies don't need a strong economy to deliver blowout numbers. At the same time, what do Comcast and Disney need to compete? How about all the technology companies that make entertainment and live program- programming look terrific on any device anywhere in the world? Let's not be too parochial here. Comcast, br- brief in favor of the Fox bid has some incredible language about this moment in time. As Steve Burke, CEO of NBC Universal, my boss's boss, said in his statement on last night's call, and I quote, First, we're in a golden age of content with more video consumed than ever before. That will continue as demand for great content keeps increasing, end quote. Comcast and Disney want to be providers of that entertainment in scale all over the globe. It it shouldn't be lost on anyone that just as Walmart and Amazon want to own India, Comcast and Disney want that market too. It's going to be the world's largest by 2025, and that's what you get with some of these Fox assets. All you need is the underlying technology that makes this stuff possible, and that's why the Internet of Things stocks were all flying today. It's not just movies and television or other assets like Discover or, or uh, CBS that are being revalued upward. All the video game stocks screamed higher as they are part of the golden age of content. The unstoppable Twitter's, Twitter's part of it, too. Up another 6%. Spotify, my favorite subscription music service. I think I'm the only guy who likes the stock. I don't care. It's up like a banshee, gaining more than 4%. In fact, anything subscription's going up, including another one of my faves, Dropbox. We need to know more about the subscription economy. So later tonight, we're going to be speaking to Zora, a little company that literally wrote the book on the subscription economy. Subscribed. So here's the bottom line. Yes, I think that (laughs) I want the rally to be more broad based. But when you get this kind of revaluation of an entire sector, it's a real positive. A stock like Disney, which should have really been going down if it's planning to increase the amount of stock it's offering for the Fox assets by a dramatic amount, actually managed to rally. And that is incredibly telling. In a market that's gotten more difficult with tariffs and rate hikes galore, this revaluation of all media values and those of its tech abettors is definitely. Something worth cheering about. Alan in Florida, Alan. Jimmy, booyah to you. Booyah.
1: Jimmy, you know, about Roku, it wasn't that long ago that they were just selling streaming sticks, but as cord cutting has grown, they now have over 21 million active users, and they're now doing more in advertising than they are
0: in hardware. No, work. Alan, you're yes. absolutely right. I mean, I got to tell you, this is one of those that kind of snuck up on people and it's very much part of this new economy. Ah. And it is going higher. Uh, I thought that Amazon could hurt them more than uh, is. Well, they're not. Amazon, I'm not saying, it's not laying a glove on them, but they both can coexist. John in California. John.
2: Ah, booyah, Jim. I'm here in Sacramento. We love your show.
0: Thank you, John. Thank you. I did a, I did a commencement speech where I mentioned my time in Sacramento. What's going on?
2: There we go. OK, you know, I have UC uh, uh, Concrete Long with the infrastructure thing. I'm losing my patience with that. But me and the caveman checked out a thing called Pilgrim Pride uh, to play against the Mexican tariffs as far as agriculture goes. What do you think? It's in the toilet from 38 down, but we think it's going to go up. What Man, do you think I, you're, you're fighting Pride? the tr- you're
0: fighting the trend there. You got some raw cost problems that I think are going to be a real problem for you. Uh you're you're a, you're a value guy. How about that? Let's leave it like that and uh, I don't necessarily share the affinity for that stock. Mary in Connecticut, Mary.
3: Hi, good evening Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call of and course. I appreciate and value your financial mentorship. Thank you. Hi, I am a nurse of 33 years. Um in Connecticut, and I work in the operating room. In the past, I've based some of my investment decisions on um, a lot of the equipment and companies that I have worked um, okay. with and seen. Um, I'm presently working with a device um, from Atracure, A-T-R-C. It's an innovative device for the surgical treatment of atrial fibrillation. Right. I've seen, I've seen very, very good outcomes. The device is FDA approved it has no competition. It is based in the USA and now expanding to China. What do you think, Jim? Well, Mary, I... you
0: obviously, first of all, know much, like so many of our viewers, you know much more than I do about Articure. Let me do this. Let me see if your situation is anecdotal or empirical. And if it's empirical, then I think we have to recommend the stock ourselves. Sure, I wish the rally were more broad than just entertainment-based stocks and a couple of tech companies that help it and the subscription economy. But when you see a reevaluation of a sector like we saw today, I'm telling you, It's worth cheering Oh man, Tonight. Adobe is falling after earnings, but could it be a buying opportunity? Got an $8 billion buyback. I'm gonna sit down with the CEO, get the full picture. Then does Thor have a flat? The company's been an outperformer for years, but is it still king of the road or is this recent downtrend a red flag? And the first step is admitting you have a problem. I'm eyeing two companies that could prove to be problematic. So stick with Kramer.
2: The company is a hive of innovation and creativity, and investors are loving the stock. On the vanguard of subscription software, with cornerstones of design across the digital world,
0: can the imagination of Adobe conquer the cloud? Last night, I introduced you to the newest members of the one hundred billion dollar club—the companies that have cost one hundred billion dollars in market cap. That includes Adobe, the digital media kingpin, that was first of the cloud kings to join this prestigious group. Now, Adobe just reported after the close, and delivering a twelve cent earnings beat off of a buck fifty-four basis, with higher than expected revenue of twenty-four percent year over year. Indeed. It was a great quarter, but remember, as we told you last night, Adobe needed to report a super duper great quarter after the run it's been on. And alas, there were a couple minor niggling issues within the quarter. They experienced cloud annual recurring revenue result that was only in line with expectations, and an ever so slight adjusted operating margin miss. If you're looking for flaws, so the stock's down, but only to where it was at the end of the month. So let's dig into these numbers with Shantanu New Ryan. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Adobe systems, learn more about his company's prospects. Mr. Ryan, welcome back to Mad Money.
3: Great to be on the show, Jim.
0: All right, Shantu, tell me, uh, I know that the stock is up 47%. There's going to be some profit taking, whatever, but there is just a tremendous surge in commerce being done over your platform. And I'm trying to figure out where it's all coming from, because a lot of people felt that it had to be tapped out by now. It seems like it's accelerating to me.
3: Well, the entire digital transformation agenda is front and center for every enterprise. And uh, like you said, we believe that every shopping experience needs to be uh, commerce enabled. And so I think whether you're a small and medium business, whether you're travel, whether you're retail, whether you're hospitality, you want to engage with your customers directly online and you want to transact online. And that is a tailwind that's going to continue for many years.
0: Well, let's talk about that because that brings me to the acquisition is what, what most excites me, Magento. When you do one of these acquisitions, I know it's very important. And To me, it gives you the complete suite. Now you're able to uh, do commerce. And also, I think more important, you've, inter- you've taught me this, artificial intelligence about what the customer might do. How big is this Magento for you guys?
3: We think it's a incredibly uh, attractive acquisition, and like all of the other acquisitions that we've done, Jim, we think we can significantly accelerate their business. Uh, As we think about engaging with customers, we're the only company uh, that does content. We do content management, we do analytics, uh, to your point, better than anybody else does. And as we look for things that would complement our strategy, Magento is such a unique company in that they do both digital and physical goods. They do B2B as well as B2C, and it really enables us to complete the loop with our customers in terms of being able to deliver the experience online and then to completely transact online.
0: You know, there's some people today who were telling me, look, it's now a monopoly with Magento, that there really isn't anybody, any retailer. uh, Everybody needs to be on Adobe. Now, I know monopoly's a dangerous word, but uh, at this point, who really is your competition? I can't figure out who it is.
3: Well, Jim, I think we're still focused on two large growing opportunities, uh, empowering people to create. And you think about what's happening with new media types and new devices on which people are creating and consuming content. And we have to keep driving innovation uh, in those uh, areas and then helping businesses transform. There are a number of companies uh, who look at this opportunity every single day, but I think as long as we can continue to innovate at the pace at which we are doing, uh, have our engineers really focus on artificial intelligence and predictive technology, and continue to engage with our customers and deliver value to our customers, uh, we think we have great growth opportunities ahead of us.
0: And now, you guys have really gotten close both to Microsoft and obviously to Amazon. Uh, tremendous edge to be both of them. Uh, what, what has it done for you guys, particularly the tie up with, uh, <laughs> with, with what you guys are doing with Azure, which I think is pretty amazing.
3: Well, I think it's all about scaling uh, what we do uh, geographically and with large customers all over the world. And we both know that the cloud provides significant benefits in terms of uh, enabling your business to be global, enabling you to be closer to your customers. The relationship with Microsoft in particular is actually such a synergistic one because we have the world's leading digital experience and marketing solutions. Uh, they have with Power BI and Azure and Dynamics an incredible infrastructure that enables us to leverage it across the world. And what's unique, I think, about the partnership is we also have a joint go-to-market and so Together we're addressing large customer needs together in terms of being able to integrate across each of our solutions. So it's certainly something that's unique, uh, I think. and delivering great value to our customers when we saw you last uh, you showed us
0: some fabulous augmented reality uh uh tools and i wanted to know i mean are they catching fire because to me i uh, candidly as someone who really is much more of a 20th century guy than a 21st century guy i can hope that this could work but i bet you younger people are seeing how to use it and putting it into play and it's going to be worth billions of dollars for you guys
3: We think everybody has a story to tell, Jim. And when you think about what we are doing all the way from education, K through 12, we've now made a product called Spark available globally to every K through 12 student, so that in every education report, they can use multimedia. At the other end of the spectrum, whether you're doing high-end video uh, for the mobile or for the silver screen, whether you're doing augmented reality, immersive media, as we call it, We want Adobe to be the only company that has the end-to-end solution. And so I think creativity will continue to be this incredible opportunity for us. And I think, again, what's unique is the fact that tens of millions of people are using our products every month, and hundreds of millions of assets are being created using these applications. If we can harness that power and intelligence and make our applications more accessible to people, more enjoyable to people, that's such a unique opportunity.
0: Right, one last question. I, I know the stock looks down a little bit here, but you've got eight billion dollars. You added the same day you bought Magenta. You added to your buyback. I guess you guys are ready if the stock comes down.
3: Well, I think you know the new tax law certainly helps U.S. businesses. We were able to get a lot of the cash that we had offshore. Uh, we're in rarefied atmosphere in terms of a company that's growing both top line and bottom line at incredible uh, rates. And we continue to be very disciplined uses of uh, capital. And so uh, we feel fortunate to be in the position that we are and really focused on the large, long-term opportunity that we have, Jim.
0: Well, once again, congratulations on an unbelievable run. I'm glad we've been there all along with you. Shantanu, good to see you, sir. Good to be here, Jim. Okay. That's Chantanu, new Ryan. He's the chairman, and president, and CEO of Adobe ADB. All I can say is you want the stock to come down so you can buy it. May have money back after the break.
2: Thor Industries was motoring along, but this year, terror threats loom, and the stock has hit the brakes. Driven by millennials, will enough Americans take to the summer highways to put
0: Thor back in gear? Okay, what do you do when a high-flying momentum stock loses its mojo and comes crashing down to earth? That's a big question we need to address when it comes to Thor Industries, THO, the world's number one maker of motorhomes and recreational vehicles. After a stunning multi-year, okay, not quarter, but multi-year rally, Thor hit a wall earlier this year. Stock is down 39% from its highs. It's been brutal. For a long time, investors believed that RVs were on fire because millennials love the darn things. Remember glamping, glamour camping? But then everyone started worrying about ballooning inventories and sky-high labor costs and rising raw costs and gasoline became more expensive. Fast forward to last week when Thor reported an okay, not perfect quarter, but a good quarter, with modest top-line beat and modest earnings miss. But while raw costs are still an issue, Thor says it expects the RV business to remain stronger. Since then, the stock has bounced a bit, but it's still way off its highs. So has Thor been punished enough? This is a stock that's selling for less than 10 times next year's earnings estimates, despite having a 17% long-term growth rate. It's either insanely cheap or the estimates are too high. That's why we need to speak with Bob Martin. He's the president and CEO of Thor Industries to get a better read on how his company's doing. Where it's headed, Mr. Martin. Welcome back to Man. Money. Good to see you, Bob. Have a seat. Thank you. All right, so Bob, since we've seen you, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it was kind of a difficult thing because you told us that, that employment costs had gone up because you were in the hottest, what used to be the coldest then the hottest employment market. And then we got these tariffs, which initially you felt might not hurt you, but it looks like they have. How much of, the, uh, of these negatives are now uh, in the rearview mirror?
4: You know, the, the unemployment, the employment rate has Subsided quite a bit in Indiana, and then we're also expanding in Ohio, uh, Idaho, where it's a little bit easier for us. Tariffs, when I was here last, I, I, the, the actual announcement was while I was in your green right. room last March. You didn't think. You told us you didn't think it would be an issue. Well, we thought it would be minimal. And yeah. and even that, today, they're still kind of all over the board, and we're just finding ways to kind of counteract them uh, whenever we can. I mean, for us, you know, taking some uh, raw costs out, uh, decontenting units, uh We still don't know exactly where they're going, but we're we're a very reactive company and our guys are great at, uh, you know, looking at content of product and looking at suppliers. So we're still very optimistic that we can keep it to a minimal effect. Now,
0: dealer inventories were uh, up 30 percent, but you said that that was appropriate.
4: I'm trying to
0: figure out whether how appropriate that really is.
4: Yeah, they're they're higher. But when we say appropriate, uh, one thing we really look at is the aging of the inventory Mm -hmm. and aging has been down the last two quarters. So dealers ordered a lot in the fall. They knew that they they wanted to, you know, have stock for spring shows, uh, open houses and things such as that. I I know not everybody loves to hear weather, but for us, it it has been a factor. And when you have snow, um, you know, March, April, May, when I was here last, you had your third nor'easter, and I think you had a fourth. Um, So these are factors for our industry. And right since then, since March or uh, May, actually, uh, in June, we've picked up. Uh, retail has picked up. So we're we're getting a a very good vibe from the dealers on a lot of the product. Now we've got to work through that. Um, So overall, we still feel great about the fundamentals in the long term of the industry. We just need to work through some of the inventory. It, it is a little bit elevated, and right. the dealers work through that. Now, I know Marcus Limonis was
0: on here. i probably watched him from Camping World. And he said things have really gotten very much back on track. Of course, he, uh, he like others, t- he did cite the weather somewhat, but recognized that things had gotten a little bit weak. What I'm trying to figure out is how much of it is, might be cyclicality. Gasoline did go up. Uh, y- y- there is a notion that it's costing a little more to, to go buy or rent
4: a Thor vehicle for our industry, gas usually isn't a big indicator. Okay. Many times people think that it is, right. but actually people just take shorter trips. And our dealers are very well versed in they'll throw in a gas card or something like that if that's someone's ob- objection. So that really hasn't been uh, you know, much of a drag for us. Uh, I think if we didn't have the spring that we had this year, no. we'd have a very different conversation right now.
0: I have to tell you, when I've seen this kind of thing mm-hmm. happen where stocks got a pretty good price turnings multiple, and then gets cut to literally in half of the average stock. It makes me think, is there something big has changed? Is, is there, uh, did everyone just go crazy and think that, you know what, this is good, this is a boom? And like the housing problem in 2007, we made too many houses. I mean, could it be like
4: that? Uh, we don't feel so. I mean, that's where uh, literally we, we build to order. So it's not that uh, we made dealers take too much inventory. They they bought what they thought was appropriate, and when we talk to banks, uh, we can see that their floor plan limit uh, is appropriate. Uh, it's not too high. When I go back to the housing bubble, it hit RVs as well, and I lived through that. It was painful, but the biggest thing that you looked at was credit. Right now, credit is flowing uh, very freely. Okay. Uh, we all know, uh, and we've known that rates would go up, but for us, a quarter at a, at a you know at a time is not really a, a big issue changes payment a little bit, but it's not a big drag either.
0: Okay, I just want to go back to uh, back to the tariffs. You right. we were experiencing inflationary price increases in certain raw material and commodity-based components due in large part to the headwinds created by the announcements and limitation of the steel and aluminum tariffs. I mean, there's really no real way to get around it, I mean, that was part yeah. of the president's plan was to make it so it costs more. I mean, there's nothing you can really do other than eat this.
4: Well, a little bit, we, there are ways you can decontent you can look at each De-content taking meaning taking what? D- different products out of units you know over a year sometimes we do get price creep okay. and we're adding to maybe too many features and so we do this not just because of tariffs we look at our product all the time and we've taken one of our top products that just crept up too much and you can totally change the price point just by looking at what you put into it okay. so we have projects going on at all of our companies is there going to be some effect sure right. uh, but We're really trying to minimize it, and, uh, you know, over time, I I think we can really manage it pretty well. One nice question. You do not do a traditional
0: conference call. If I had been on that call, I would have said, Bob, is there any improvement in the last month since the the quarter was closed? You would say, yes, there has been.
4: In the overall market? Yes. Yes. As soon as the weather broke, uh, dealers are now busy. Uh, They have great lot traffic. Uh, you know, we had great shows before but when you have a lot of snow people can't deliver the units. So once it broke in May uh, it, it instantly got much busier, you know, do we make it up for us? We don't manage the quarter we right. manage for the long haul. Uh, we feel great about the demographics the fundamentals uh, We think people are going to continue to camp for many years and we we have some great opportunities that uh, we're investing more Our marketing efforts, trying to reach those younger buyers, because if you can just get one percent more of the population, and really go down to that younger buyer, that's a huge number. It's a great opportunity for us. All right, let's leave it at that. Thank you so much,
0: Bob Martin, President and CEO of Thor Industries, T H O. May money's back after the break. Like the Spanish Inquisition, nobody expects a company to come out on its conference call and fly out and admit the business is lousy. No one expects management to call out everything that's going wrong in great detail and weep for forgiveness. But is it too much to ask that they, you know, uh, acknowledge the problems they're having and show some recognition that something's not at the snuff? I'm not demanding CEOs of troubled companies give us a mea culpa, beg for mercy, do some self, self-flagellation, replete with whips and chains. I just want some evidence that they're living in the same universe as the rest of us. Yet that seems beyond some companies can. Often you'll hear conference calls that are downright Orwellian, full of relentless happy talk in the face of what they have to know is a disappointing set of facts. I have expect them to say that two plus two equals five, or that Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. I thought about that after last night's disappointing conference call from Taylor Brands, the amalgam of Men's Warehouse and Joseph A. Bank, among other brands. I thought about this on Tuesday night after that horrendous tortured h and Block call after trying to put a positive spin on what is at best an uncertain future. My, what a diplomat I've become. Gandhi had nothing on this guy. I know there was a lot of skepticism when Men's Warehouse bought Joseph A. Bank back in 2014 for $1.8 billion, which was widely viewed as way too much. Given the performance of the stock since then, it might seem like an ill-advised deal. What was a $2.2 billion company back then is now a $1.3 billion company. On the other hand, though, the stock has had a monster run from its lows last year, vaulting from $9 to $33 as of last night. It seemed like Taylor Brands was finally back on track, at least until it reported those not-so-hot numbers just this previous evening. Which is why... It was so mystifying that management didn't say there could be some soft issues with gross margins going forward, or at least give you some signal that, bullishness could, that business could be more promotional, <laughs> definitely more promotional in the next couple of quarters, something more promotional than others in the red-hot apparel category. Nope, everything was entirely rosy, everything. There wasn't a single cautionary word. If you just listened to the call, you would have thought Taylor Brands had blown out every line item. Until you got to the Q&A session, when an analyst named Paul Trussell from Deutsche Bank asked the company to hold our hands a little bit about the upcoming quarter selling general and administrative expenses, as well as its gross margins. You could have heard a pin drop. Well, but only if you have great uh, phone service, because after all, this is a conference call. It was a total wipeout from there on. Wall Street had rendered its verdict guilty, both in terms of performance and lack of credibility. Hence, the stock's 21% decline in today's session. We we got almost the exact same thing when H&R Block reported a quarter that sent its stock into a hideous tailspin the day before. Everything was fabulous until you got to the Q&A, when the analysts were totally unnerved about the upcoming spending and store closings. Signs that the company had fallen well behind industry leader Intuit, our fave, by using a brick-and-mortar hybrid web strategy that now appears to be technology light. And troubling, I think that if Block had been more forthcoming about its problems, the stock wouldn't have gotten hit quite so hard. Same goes for Taylor Brands, but they didn't want to go there. What should these companies have done? A few years back, Palo Alto Networks had similar issues. The sales numbers started coming in light, and the future looked full of pain. So then-CEO Mark McLaughlin admitted that there were issues with his sales force, and they weren't dealt with well, and they had to be fixed. It was a total 100% mea culpa. The stock got hit. But Mark's credibility was intact, and it soared when he fixed the problems and the numbers bounced back. If he'd if been less forthright, I wonder if Palo Alto stock would have ever reached the recent lofty levels. Hey, by the way, I hope you bought Palo Alto stock on the breakdown last week. The new CEO, Nikesh Arora, just purchased $6.6 million worth in the open market. Nice. Same thing happened a few years back with Anil Bushfree, the CEO of Workday. He had numbers that looked good on the surface, but he himself called attention to some deals that hadn't closed. And how bummed he was that he didn't deliver like he had in the past. Stock took a hit and then it zoomed and never looked back when its sales were in the next quarter. Whether HR Block and Taylor Brands are hitting mere speed bumps or looking at serious shortfalls going forward, they did themselves no favors by pretending that everything's hunky-dory. I am now deeply troubled by these companies much more trouble than I would have been had they just acknowledged the extent of their problems from the get-go. Look, I'm not expecting total 100% transparency from CEOs, but when you start giving Baghdad Bob-style conference calls, you're going to hurt your credibility. That's a real problem, yet it's easily avoided by just saying hey, things aren't going so hot right now, but just you wait. We got a plan. You need patience, but that patience will be rewarded. Stick with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow, Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. 65, how about
0: 75? 75, do I have 80? Do I have 80? <laughs> do I have 85? Check to the left. I got 80, I got 95. So, and so you, The and, man, and, man and, in Philadelphia.
2: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: It is time. It's not quite there. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy, time for the lightning round. We're going to start with Steve in Florida. Steve. Booyah, mister.
4: Jim, how you doing? I am doing well. How about you, sir? Uh, okay, so far. Say, I'm back in April, I bought Skechers. Okay. I thought those new golf shoes would really make it take off. And uh, anyway, the sales were up 9%, but the stock dumped.
0: No, oh, because uh, the stock had been a red-hot momentum stock, not unlike Decker's. And Decker's delivered, and Skechers didn't. And that's why the stock came down, so it's in the penalty box until we see the next quarter. Dave in Illinois. Dave.
4: Jim, hello from Chicago. How are you doing today? I'm right. How are you? Great, great. Hey, i got a quick question for you on Campbell's. I've noticed that their stock has been on a downward fund. They've got a lot of
1: debt. They've got senior management changes. I'm wondering if this is the time to buy.
0: Do you think they look well, like... Well, you know what? Resist- I think it's an interesting question because I see the stock sneaking back. and I know a lot of people feel it's going to sell itself to Kraft Heinz. I can't recommend a stock on a takeover basis. The fundamentals are deteriorating, which is the case with this. So I'm going to say... Don't buy. Don't buy. Let's fight. go to Don in Massachusetts. Don. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Don? I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, Jim, this is a play on Botox. What are your thoughts on EOLS? Everything's a play on Botox. I had to eat crow the other day on Allergan. The stock's coming back now on Botox. I'm going to say this market's too crowded for that, and I'm not going to recommend it. Let's go to Damian in Florida. Damian.
4: How you doing, Jim? Love the show. I still got you on record on my DVR, man.
0: Thank you. Uh, Thank you.
4: Tickets. Ticker symbol ZS. Is it a,
0: a long-term scale, buy? security as a service, and we like that stock very much. It's one bye, of bye, our faves bye. in the group. Let's go to Bill in South Carolina. Bill. Yes, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. I'm thinking about, I'm, I want your opinion on
4: Dexcom.
0: You know or we PX. like that. We had Kevin Sarah on the, the best glucose sponsor By the way, we think there's room for them and Abbott, but boy, is Dexcom on fire. I always felt that one day someone's just going to go buy the company. It would not shock me. By the way, Medtronic. Wouldn't be such a bad idea if you decide I want to win that second. Just go do it, Robert in Florida. Robert.
2: Well, yeah, Jim. How are you? I
0: am good. How are you, Robert?
2: Uh, wonderful. Thank you. I'm so happy to talk to you. Oh, I was same. hoping that you. I, I was hoping that you can shed some light on GW Pharmaceuticals.
0: Well, it's been red hot. I mean, you know, everybody wants a legal pot play. That's what that's one. We've been uh, talking about Canopy. That's another. And let's not forget that uh, Constellation Brands, STZ, which is owned by my Chapel Trust. They have a 20 cent stake in Canopy. Well, any one of those I think is fine. Let's go to Craig in Texas. Craig. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Doctor. like I'm a long time, I'm a long time listener. First time
3: caller. My stock is Lockheed Martin. All right, this whole group is going
0: down because peace is apparently breaking out in the Korean Peninsula. Give me a break. We like Raytheon for the travel trust. We recognize it's going down. I think Lockheed's inexpensive too. But I see when stocks are downtrends, you got to give them some room. I say wait a day or two. Let that stock drop another five, six, seven points, and then you'll be fine. David in Pennsylvania. David. Jim, booyah. Booyah. David, Pittsburgh, PA, home of the Pittsburgh dealer six-time champion yeah Jim yeah question yeah I'm investing for my grandchildren I bought some DocuSign oh that is such a good company you made a good do. bye, 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 bye. DocuSign Zora I mean these companies are doing so z-scale they are doing incredibly well DocuSign is at the forefront of the subscribed economy let's go to Ron in California Ron
3: Booyah, Jim. Booyah. How are you doing?
0: I am good. Long day. What's going on?
3: Oh, i hoping to hear something about one of my stocks, Tech, re- tech Resources. The to mineral ECK. stocks
0: remain strong. Uh, at this point in the cycle, you actually are going to continue to get some strength in tech. What a winner it's been. I think it can break out to the upside. I need, I'm need. i taking another. Let's go to Clay in North Carolina. Clay. Madrigal, M D G L. Oh man, this just thing just another dendron. This thing just went up gigantically. It's from my hometown. It's actually from about about four or five minutes from where I grew up. But I got to do more work on it because it's just been a rocket ship. And I know I saw the release the other day, and I want to check it out. Take him one more. Tom in Texas. Tom. Hey Jimmy, howdy from Texas and a World
2: Series champion Houston Astros. Justin Verlander, Kate Upton, booyah.
0: Well, there you go. That's a complete roster. How about who's on second? What's up? Masco is putting a hurt Why on the Why do me. we what have to be I in do? Masco when we can be in Home Depot? Let's be in the king ah, of Home ah, Depot. Ah, ah, and that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: If you're afraid of what rising interest rates and trade rules do to the economy, I mean, everyone's worried about tariffs. Come on, some stocks are going to keep working regardless. I'm talking about secular growth stories that have very little economic sensitivity. Consider the case of Zora Z U O. It's a fresh face IPO. It's one of the best performers in the class of 2018. It's up 124 percent from where it came public in April, including a 57 percent gain since the close of trading on its first day. And there's a good reason for this. Zora is a cloud-based software company that's a pure play on the subscription economy. All of those companies that are trying to sell their products as a subscription service, Zora helps them launch, manage, and grow their business. It's kind of brilliant, right? I mean, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Spotify, Costco, these are all show, show us that subscriptions are where the money is. Heck, even the oil makers are trying to sell people cars as subscription services. In the old days, we called that a lease. Zora is a fabulous enabler of these subscription-based businesses. I know that for a fact because at the street, where we have a bunch of subscription services, including my travel trust, which you can follow along at actionleadersplus.com, we use Zora to optimize that business. They do a great job. Now, the numbers here are phenomenal. When the company reported two weeks ago, it posted a 60% revenue growth. But if you really want to understand the enthusiasm here, let's take a closer look with Team Zhu. He's the founder and CEO of Zora to learn more about what the future holds for this company. Mr. Zhu, welcome to Money. Good to see you, sir. Thanks, sir. Thank good you. Good have a seat. The number 11 employee of Salesforce who understood so, uh, subscription and software as a service from day one. Explain to people how we're not about products anymore, we're, we're about services.
1: Well, I mean, I think companies are, are realizing that the subscription based business model is the business model of the future. And the reason for that is their customers. If you just think about you, think about myself. Right. Every day that passes, we have to buy less and less stuff, and we talked about that two years ago, but it's exploding. We used to have Netflix. We used to have Spotify, but now we're paying for exercise bikes as a subscription. We're paying for travel as a subscription. Even companies are paying for things like tractor as a subscription. This is what we call the subscription-based economy.
0: Well, when we talked before, I was thinking much too small. I was thinking about, well, how someone puts in their name and whether they're able to get through the web and therefore enter their subscription or not. But you're talking about... The end of ownership. That's right. Yeah. What a concept. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, I I think when two years ago we were
1: talking about this, this whole subscription business model was just new. Right. And now people are just extrapolating out. I mean, there's no reason you should have to buy anything. If you're not buying DVDs, if you're not buying CDs, if you're not buying software, why should you have to buy houses? Why should you have to buy cars? You just want to simply take out your phone, point to a service to get the needs that you want, and, and just tap into a subscription service, and this is what we're starting to see today.
0: There's a moment in your book that I just love, and it's, it's called Subscribe, that I'm, I, I'm urging people to buy this because it is the manifesto for this particular era. When well, you talk about the New York Times as a unicorn, that yeah. literally, if it were just to start today, we would yeah. pay so much more for it because it's an ultimate subscription business now. Yeah,
1: that's right, that's right. You're looking at companies that are saying, we have a million, two million, three million subscribers, and they're based in Silicon Valley, and they're getting these multi-billion dollar valuations. The New York Times was talking about getting to a million subscribers just three years ago. Now they just, they, I think they eclipsed three million subscribers and, and it's a really powerful story. But, you know, people need to start thinking about these businesses in a very different way.
0: Yeah, they really do. I mean, you know, you talk about WeWork. We had Adobe on earlier. I mean, these are companies that we didn't initially understand. In the book, you talk about the day that Adobe decided to go subscription. Right. And it seemed like that it was a courageous thing, but in retrospect, it was a necessity. Well, gosh, I mean, you looked at that day, right?
1: Revenue was down. That? Earnings were down. But this is because they, 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 instead of saying, you know, we're trying to get $200 off of a single purchase, we're going to keep a customer for life. And if we can do that, we're going to be a much, much stronger company.
0: Right, but there are companies that haven't, been, that haven't done it, and those are the ones that are being left behind, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's
1: why we wrote the book. I mean, a lot of companies are saying we see that the subscription-based business model is the future. But how do we transform? Because this implies an entirely different way of doing business. You got to build products differently, you got to sell differently, you got to market differently.
0: Now, we're starting to see it. I mean, the market just – today happened to be a great day to have you. I mean, Dropbox was up very big today. Netflix is up very big. People are starting to realize, wait a second, I look at deferred revenue, I look at the money. I don't look at the snapshot right now. And it's harder for a lot of people to understand, isn't it? Because we really haven't – many people, even managers, have not gotten their heads around what a balance sheet looks like and what an income statement looks like versus what it should look like in this new economy. We have a
1: whole chapter around the financial model and how you have to see it differently. And, you know, I was at Salesforce when we went public in 2004, and for years and years, Wall Street just didn't understand it. But if you look at the success of the IPOs, right, whether it's Plurisite or DocuSign, this past year, I think Wall Street is starting to embrace the subscription-based business model. And in fact, when they look at us, what they really liked about us, given our customer base and half our customers are outside the tech industry, is that an investment in us is an investment in this entire subscription economy.
0: No, it, it, it's the pure play. It's instead of an ETF. It's, it's, right. it, it's, it, think it. of us as an index. No, I do. I, I actually do, do that. I, I think there was also a great chapter where you talk about how the IT guys don't get it. That's a Revolution. A revolution And kind of seditious thought? Well, the IT infrastructure for the last 30, 40 years has been
1: all built on the product economy, right? right? When companies are saying, I got to ship units, it's all about marginal costs, it's about units, it's about scale economics. And when, when it's not about those things anymore, it's not about supply chain, manufacturing, inventory. It's about turning your customers into subscribers, launching services, about pricing and packaging. And so the old systems of the past, these ERP systems from Oracle, from SAP, they're simply not going to work anymore. And IT has to change along with the businesses.
0: Well, I think you can change it. I mean, I think these people have to bring you in, right? I mean, in the end, they have to until they figure it out themselves, right? Well, for
1: the last 10 years, we built a pretty unique piece of technology now that allows any business in any industry really launch, scale, and grow and transform into subscription.
0: Well, you should be very proud. I mean you really you caught the zeitgeist, but you also caught the economics of the moment. And the book will explain to a lot of people why these stocks deserve to be higher than you think are too expensive. That's Teen Zo, he's the founder and CEO of Zora. What a remarkable company. They have money's back after the break. It was a wild day for a lot of our favorites. I can't leave out Etsy. Did a little subscription business. That's right. They added one and they put through a price increase. 3.5% goes to 5%. Etsy up huge. Remember, we visited them in Brooklyn. I've got to tell you, I am impressed. Okay, so Comcast bid ignites the whole group. And I don't think it's over. I want you to keep track of everything entertainment because I think there's several more days where they can continue to rally. And yes, all the tech abettors are going to do the same. Watch NVIDIA, which is at the heart of much of what we're looking at. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.